Welcome everyone to another episode of Kendall vs. Kendall. Today I am not joined by my co-host Seth Kendall, but I'm instead joined by an industry, I guess you could say icon, maybe legend. We're up here in Vancouver, British Columbia, sitting at a beautiful trout lake. Sunny afternoon. I'm joined by none other than Brian Park. Thanks for joining me, Brian. No worries. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, just uh, on the recovery train, like we just talked about. With my yeah. You've got, you look like you got attacked by a shark. Your right arm is sliced. What happened yeah. to you? Yeah. A uh, little argument with the boulder field and it won. The boulder field. Yeah, it won. And I saw a video footage of you being dangled from a helicopter. Yeah. Pretty embarrassing, really. Oh, man. Well, uh, so what's your official title? Uh, I'm the head of editorial at Pink Bike. Excellent. And how long have you been there? I've been there for two and a bit, two and a bit years. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited for today's interview because as I've been making more content in the last few years, I've always kind of wondered what it's like on the other side of the fence, I guess you could say, at a more established news agency, media agency. And I've looked at Pink Bike for years. So I've always been really curious what goes on on the, I guess you could say, inner workings. Mm -hmm. And your story is pretty engaging too. The way you worked at Rocky Mountain, bike shops, yada, yada. You've lived the mountain bike culture for quite a while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Today I want to talk about your, back, your own personal background and trajectory. And I really want to hear about your current decision making. And It'd be rad to get your take on a few modern aspects of the industry. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's sure. why we're here. <laughs> um, so let's take it back to the beginning. Where did your passion for bikes start out in the first place? Uh, I, uh, I, I always had lots of sports and hobbies growing up, soccer, BMX racing, all that stuff. At some point, I forget how. But did you I was, grow up here in Vancouver? No, the Okanagan Valley. Oh, wow. A little town called Oliver. Wow. Has, I had like 3,000 people in it at the time and... Yeah, I, I mean, my graduating class was like 100 people, and I think 30 people actually graduated. Wow. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, at some point, somebody got me into, like, kites, and I was really, I was, like, 10 or 11 and, like, building kites and stuff, and my cousin was, like, nice enough to tell me that was super lame. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, Sounds like an older cousin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, had the, he had, like, a Schwinn Mesa. Ooh. He helped me cobble together this old like Marin. Was that the Mesa that came with disc brakes? Yes. No. Oh. Brakes. It had oh. but it had parallel push V brakes. Boom. I know. LX yeah. level or better. No, I think oh yeah, it was but well, I think they were LX level, yeah. And uh um yeah, he cobbled together an old bike for me to ride and yeah, that was it. I, I guess I got bullied into mountain biking. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And That's, what kind of riding have you been into? Uh I mean I never, I was, because I was racing BMX, and for me, mountain biking was kind of a reaction to that, so I never raced mountain bikes. I've never raced mountain bikes. I did the free ride thing. Okay. You know, early 2000s. Yeah. Late late 90s, early 2000s. Had a had a Banshee Scream and a nice. Brody 8-Ball. 24-inch wheels? 24 in the rear, 26 in the front. <laughs> Uh, with Stratos S7. Amazing. Um, yeah. Everyone, this is who's designing the uh, <laughs> yeah. the bike review articles or whatnot. It's yeah. a good, yeah, trust me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, we all um, came from a background like yeah. that. That's awesome. Um, and that was the thing to do up here in BC, too. That was the thing to do in BC. Um, yeah. You know, all the we had all the videos coming out and, and that kind of thing. Um, and the scene, you know, there there was no real racing in the Okanagan Valley. There was some XC racing, but didn't really okay. interest me. Didn't really have a downhill scene at the time. Um, so you're a product of your environment sure. a little bit. Um, 
and also there was you know if you didn't have a local scene it was hard at the time to engage with a global scene the way it's much easier now um thanks to you know all the streaming stuff and and that's website you work for some website or other <laughs> yeah i mean it existed then but it was different um so how far how serious did you get with bmx racing not that serious i went to regionals and provincials once and got my ass kicked but okay it was good i was, I was like the second fastest person at the locals hey yeah, nice know, right? um so you know what it's like to manage a championship oh clearly yeah exactly <laughs> hold on for those points i was terrible at bmx racing yeah. did it for years struggled never formally made it to expert class oh you needed 20 wins i got stuck <laughs> at like six or something for yeah. like three years anyhow yeah. i mean I'd, I'd mostly quit bmx by the time i was 13 14 oh was, okay yeah i was working at shops and mountain biking sweeping floors and so mountain biking takes off for you yep. early teenage early years, teenage years. Okay. Yep. Yep. Cool. um and then you know, I worked in shops through university, um, stopped, pretty much stopped mountain biking um, after I left home, um, just couldn't afford it in Vancouver, and, and access was really hard if you don't have a car, ah, okay. that kind of thing, and rode, rode BMX, rode some street, um, did the occasional Whistler trip and rented bikes and kind of thing, uh, got back into mountain biking after I was finished school, but my wife was um, going to UVic. Okay. On, on Vancouver Island. Yeah. And I was, uh, I'd, I'd finished my degree and was just working at a shop and paying off student loans and got back into mountain biking. And, okay. Um, from an actual riding standpoint, I actually, I was pretty stayed in touch with the mountain biking world the whole time. But um, in terms of actually riding, came back to it af after university. So you had a break from riding. Mm -hmm. What made you want to stay in touch with the mountain bike scene? Uh, I was always loved mountain biking, was always interested in it. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I was a little in the BMX scene, a little in the mountain bike scene. Um, it's good. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the, the culture of mountain biking was always something I was into. And also, like, I'd never stopped working at shops. Okay. So, um, yeah, I worked, I worked all the way through university at, at bike shops. So. And by osmosis, then, you're going to be picking up tidbits yep. from what's going on. Yep. So if you're growing up, uh, you know, early 2000s or whatever, were your BMX heroes like Dave Osato, Jason Enns, Jay yeah. Miron? Miron. I wrote, a, I wrote a fan letter to, to Jay Miron when I was like 12, nice. maybe 13. And he responded and I was so fucking stoked. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Did you ever ride his skate park here? No. Uh, which one? Oh, Miron had like a sketchy vert ramp warehouse thing, and I think oh. Osada had one too, yeah. the igloo or something. Yeah. Yep, I wrote the igloo. Um, that's the one out in, it was like in Richmond or something. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> this is a thousand miles away yeah. from where I grew up, so. Yeah. Fair enough. Awesome. Um, and then when you, uh, so you continued to follow the mountain bike scene, mm -hmm. but did you also follow the BMX scene through university? Yeah, a little bit. A little yep. bit, okay. Yeah. Uh, you're putting a lot of shit in your brain and don't have a lot of time for other things and just worked a lot sold a lot of city bikes nice <laughs> so where did you go to university and where did you kind of get into writing and learning about journalism uh i went to the university of british columbia okay but i have a history degree history a history degree i would not have guessed that yeah. and university of british columbia BC. that's yeah, here BC. in vancouver yep okay um and uh I mean, we joke about how useless a, a history degree is or any liberal arts degree, but I, I don't actually believe that. I was, it's, 
there's a ton of relevant stuff you learn i learned how i learn yeah you know i learned how i work um which is at the very last minute um <laughs> and uh um on the journalism side i i came in mostly through content um i was telling you earlier that my my trajectory was very much through freelance freelance work and writing and stories and content and then it's it, you know it's fake it till you make it read sure. a, read a lot of the uh the CAS, uh, cas no sorry caj canadian association of journalists ethics pages and all that stuff what inspired you to read that uh it's my job <laughs> so i'm just so curious because like you're working at bike shops you're studying history and then you start out of the blue doing freelance content what was your first gig how did that start uh pretty roundabout way so I, I was back into mountain biking i actually designed a, a fairly terrible website for for a classic car collector and in victoria and made some money there that i wasn't expecting uh so i bought video gear and camera gear again okay. started doing some of that uh, a bunch of coincidences later i started doing a lot of work for triathlon canada and specialized oh wow how'd you um, get hooked up with both those there's groups? a there's a, a guy named simon whitfield he's um a canadian triathlete a really really awesome guy in, in victoria and he was a local at the bike shop he he brought an unreleased bike down in to get built up sometime when i was shooting something else okay and he was like hey you should shoot this instead and, <laughs> uh specialized ended up buying that oh and cool started sending me with him on on some trips and oh wow that was pretty fun and so then i yeah did freelance work for you know low level storytelling content creation stuff for uh, a lot of people like scott and rocky mountain and yeah. some out of industry some nike procter and gamble like uh, duracell wow um yeah um that type of stuff so when you on canada that's yeah. cool when you bought this camera was that your goal or were you just I'll learn how I'll buy this and learn how to use it. That sounds uh, like fun. I'd done, I'd done some stuff before, okay. um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a like hey I've got unexpected money. I I could pay off my student loans, but instead, <laughs> this sounds way better. Um, how old were you at the time? Uh, this would have been twenty two thousand nine, twenty ten. Okay. Um, so, maths. I would have been twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. I guess. Um, Making it happen. That's super cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, it was cool. Uh, it was, I was super lucky. And it was very cool to have somebody like like Simon was a huge part of uh, getting me hooked up with some of those gigs to start. And yeah, just coincidence. And who knows? Yeah. You know? <laughs> now, you talk about Victoria. So your wife is going to university in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. And you were going to university here in Vancouver. No, I, I, um, I finished up my degree distance and like we moved to victoria okay so you were living in victoria we were living in victoria okay she's doing her degree and i just finished up my degree with a couple of distance courses gotcha yeah. gotcha cool this is probably a story that doesn't need to make it to the to the podcast but i uh i was dumb enough to take like some linguistics classes at the end like linguistic history classes i took a bunch of those i loved them and super interesting yeah but did, did you have to do like the phonetic alphabet and stuff Oh, I don't even, I remember doing, uh, oh, I don't remember. So just imagine, so. imagine, okay, there's like an alphabet where that tells you the sounds that you're describing or okay. like you're making when you're discussing a thing. It's yeah. like, you know, 
why do British people sound British and American people sound American and that kind of stuff. And to do to describe all that, they have an alphabet that describes sounds. And I was taking a f-ing distance ed course on this shit. And I'd be like sitting in a coffee shop working, trying to make like, e, a, uh, sound. <laughs> okay, I don't know what the hell this is. Like, it, you know, and you didn't have like YouTube videos for this no. stuff. And so it's, it was, it, it's describing things like make an O and say an A. Hey, okay, got it. And like, <laughs> so dumb. It was such a pain in the ass to finish distance ed. Oh man, especially for something that you need to be able to hear. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Gnarly. Okay. So you've lived in both Vancouver and Victoria, but you're from Oliver. I'm from, yeah, from Oliver. Cool. <laughs> so your bike industry career, and now you're the head of editorial at Pink Bike. What's that trajectory been like? I know you mentioned briefly the freelance work and then mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain. Do you want to take mm-hmm. us through the transitioning and maybe how the window opened to get that gig at Rocky and yeah, then I'd, transferring to Pink Bike? I'd done some work uh, for Rocky Freelance and uh, Peter Valance, who's now at Cannondale, um, running the mountain bike program there, uh, was at Rocky Mountain at the time, and he, he'd actually worked at the shop that I was at. What shop is this? It's called Oak Bay Bikes. Oh, yeah, I've been to a bunch of those. They have a yeah, couple locations. They, have a, they do. The main one in Oak Bay in Victoria has a ton of people who are now sort of industry people. Like there's um, cool. Ken Paras is the, uh, he's the one of the, well, I think he's the main product manager at Rocky Mountain. Okay. Um, Peter Valance is now, running the show on the mountain bike side at uh, at Cannondale. Um, uh, Andreas Hessler used to be there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, who else? Uh, Craig Ritchie, who's running the Race Face Easton Fox program. Uh, he used to ride for that shop. Cool. Back in the day. Uh, who else? Uh, Derek Kidd, who's, uh, he's like a Norco, I forget what his actual title is now. He was in marketing now. I think he's doing some field stuff. Huh. Um, he just moved down to the U.S. Okay. for them. Um, but he was working there at the time. Jillian Carlton, she uh, she won an Olympic bronze medal uh, in track. She was working there at the time. So, like, that shop was... It's an incubator. Kind of, yeah, for sure. Wow. So, you're at that shop. You meet um, the fellow from Rocky Mountain comes in. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, just tra- Pete, Peter Valance. He was just... Uh, he was working with you, and then he got the job at Rocky. He was already at Rocky, and we'd, we'd met through the shop, I guess, yeah. And then, and then it's, you know, it's, we talked about a job and went back and forth, and it was kind of like, is there going to be a job? It's not, I don't know. And eventually, <laughs> it was, you know, it was one of those things at the time where people were like, you think this, think this social media thing is going to stick around? You think these, like, do you think videos might be a thing? Like, do we need to do this content marketing thing? I don't know. My space already go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I uh, when a position opened up there, um, there were a couple. Yeah, there was a couple of intermediate steps, but eventually had a junior marketing role there, and then through mostly attrition, I ended up being the content marketing manager there. And oh wow, it's a lot of fun. So, what were your roles being a content marketing manager? Uh, I mean. It's exactly what it sounds like. You you make stuff. You make content. Uh, you tell stories. You you. But were you actually the guy out in the field shooting the stuff, or uh, are you like hiring video guys, hiring both, photo guys? Both. Like yeah. So it's it's everything from at Rocky, which is a smaller company. You're doing everything from writing comp- copy to oh, you know man- going flying to Taiwan to manage the the photo shoot. Okay. Uh, of the bikes, to um hiring it's like oh you know this athlete needs to do this thing on that bike 
and there's an action shoot we need to do for whatever a workbook or hey we're launching this thing in September so we gotta do the shoot the video in March or April or something and yeah those things and sometimes I go on a trip sometimes I'd hired it out um, what was the hardest part of that job timelines were pretty challenging okay um, maybe not the hardest part but one of them um, I think in any in any marketing job you you have to make decisions on stuff before you have the information you need to make a decision so you decide to launch a bike on September 7th say <laughs> and you make that decision six months or eight months before and then all of the other timelines can move and like delivery timelines are like oh sh shit we wanted we decided to change it from matte to glossy or oh, oh you know like a, <laughs> a, a component manufacturer didn't uh had a fire in the warehouse or whatever yeah and so this is delayed and that's delayed or hey we needed to revise the layup on this so all those things will move forward but that date you chose and you've invited journalists and you've you've booked your ads and you've done all of that that date can't move so things can get pretty compressed on a timeline basis so that part of any in-house marketing job is, is difficult sure um i'd say the hardest now that I've stalled enough to say what the hardest part was, <laughs> the hardest part is probably that it it doesn't move that quickly. It doesn't move that it quickly. It doesn't move that quickly. You, It takes a long time to, to do a single project, and it takes a... You know, on, on the media side, you look at a thing, you're like, oh, that's cool, or oh, that's not cool, or I don't like that, or I do like this. And then you move on, but consumption time is far shorter than it, creation time. Yeah, and okay, and on the on the content creation side, like I think one thing that uh, is interesting for me that I don't think a lot of media people have is the understanding of all the decisions that have gone into a thing before it gets to the media side. Most, I think, the traditional trajectory is to go um, from media to marketing. To, you know, you're in media for a couple of years and then you okay. finally sell out and go to marketing. Oh, <laughs> go to, go I to see. an agency. I don't know anybody else who's gone from marketing to media. Wow. Okay. Um, but for me, I think I always struggled with the like, yeah, just it's just one thing at a time. It takes a long time. And I was, me personally, wanted to move faster. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And that's every, I think that's every manufacturer. It's it's a it's a there's a lot of moving pieces. How much did you learn at that gig at Rocky? All of it. Super, <laughs> super um, and especially, you know, the Rocky. I don't know. Do you know the Rocky crew? They're, Not at all. They're great people. Like cool. the the Rocky Mountain team is a really great team. Um, I'm a I'm a, a huge fan of those guys. So I also recuse myself from any time we do a Rocky Mountain story. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, they are uh, they're really good people and they're. I had lots of good people to learn from. Um, and and it was a good, you know, the industry is a big, complex thing. Is a good, yes, it is. It was a good... I was there for five years, so I had a long time to... And, and did a couple of different roles, so I had a long time to 
learn a bunch of different aspects and sure. grow and all the rest, yeah. So how did that lead to becoming the head of editorial at Pinkbike? Uh, it was a great opportunity. It was um, uh, part leads into why I, my frustrations were always with all of the marketing gigs were that you work on one thing at a time, it takes a long time, and I'm, uh, I always wanted things to move at a quicker pace. Okay. Um, and it was... The thought when I when the opportunity came, I thought like, man, it's a, uh, it's all the same things that I love telling stories, things that people care about, and you know, uh, yeah, things about people, racing, action, all tech nerd shit, like all the same <laughs> stuff, but it happens at a way faster pace. Yeah. Um, how did the opportunity come up? Like, did you just randomly did one of the, like, did Carl Erotic email you? Hey, you want to come be the head? Or was it, like, more roundabout? Like, what's the... It was it was more roundabout. Okay. Can yeah. you tell us the story? I'm curious. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, it was, it was mentioned to me as an option. And, and uh, um, I thought about it for a little while because I really love my job at Rocky. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed like an opportunity to manage a bigger team, learn a bunch more, be more faster paced. Um, yeah, just, just like any job change, you, you chew on it, you go, okay, this is, this is an option. <laughs> what would it mean for my life? All right. And then you do it and you drink from the fire hose. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I know what it's like to leave a good company and try something new and, it's hard to do, but man, almost I I learned so much transitioning from IBIS to WTB. I'm sure you learned tons going mm -hmm. from Rocky to Pink yep, Bike. for sure. Oh, I mean, and you're still doing it, right? You know, and from WTB to what you're doing now, you're, it's not like you stopped learning. Oh, it's so different what I do now than then, but I couldn't do what I do now if I didn't have the background of having those desk jobs for so long. Yep, agreed. Even though I'm st I still have a desk job in a lot of ways. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Spend far more time behind the desk than, but definitely, but I rarely get to ride much. I'm kind of, I need to schedule that do back you, in. Do you do much riding without turning your camera on? Yes, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm at like probably uh, 60, 70% non-filmed. Oh, really? To small percentage. Like still filming 30 to 40% of your riding time is massive. Mm-hmm. But the filmed riding, I've got so much practice at it. Now I really enjoy it because I'll like, I'll usually bring a filmer out. Like I'll probably a 50-50 for filming between GoProing by myself, mm -hmm. which is not that interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. Hence why I don't even bother filming a lot. But when I have a filmer there doing something a few times over and over, you can learn so much about technique and how you ride the bike while you're practicing it. And then you get the treat of when you're editing it to see yourself and how you were failing. So. I personally feel my own riding level increased a bunch from having been right. focusing on content, which I never expected. No, I wouldn't have expected that. I just see, you know, like every time I'm with YouTube people, especially if there's like a couple of them in a, in a place, I'm like, I don't envy this at all. It's like a bunch <laughs> a of people hustle. with like gimbals all over the place and like all like talking to themselves the whole time. And I'm like, that is a lot of stuff to think about and a lot of stuff to agonize over in post and be like, ah, oh, God damn it. I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done it that way. And just, I'm, it's good that it hasn't taken the enjoyment out, but yeah, I'm trying I to see, I, I think it would kill it for me. I don't think I could ever do that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a job. I only film on legal public trails. So that also helps me limit down what I'm filming. Right. Yeah. 
One thing I really want to ask you, one of my favorite questions here, uh, I'm going to transition from me back to you. What do you consider to be interesting content? I know everyone has different tastes, and have you employed any strategies to kind of juggle people's different tastes as you're deciding upon what gets published and what gets held? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess, yeah, in a way, I'm, I am ultimately responsible for the, the, the content on the homepage, but... And, you know, me and the team and when I took, you know, when I took the job, it there was already a healthy uh, sort of taste in place. But honestly, it's like the community, it really drives where the tastes go. Okay. They really and do. What do you mean by that? Is that the comments, the emails you get? Comments and the numbers. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to see what people connect with and what people don't connect with and okay. on some level of you know of course we take the the um editorial part series i'm right now we're talking mostly about things that people submit and then what we choose to publish well also that when you design content because mm -hmm. you're talking mm -hmm. about the percentage of pink bikes in-house content versus yeah. submitted stuff mm -hmm. so as you assign to, like you know Here's a, an assignment to this mm -hmm. correspondent. You're deciding what topics to send out to them. So, so two kind of the two different things. When it, when we're when we're choosing content that's been submitted, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've always liked about Pink Bike is that um, is that it has been fairly agnostic in terms of like good content is good content. It's not not going to publish something because they didn't get paid or they didn't whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know, I feel like there are a lot of stories that just should be told. Um, and we obviously have tastes, so our taste filters through. But I think we all, I think it's easy to, for us to see like, hey, people are enjoying this type of thing. The next time this type of thing comes through, we're going to think about it for a few seconds less. And, okay. You know, um, when it comes to our own content, I think, you know, yes, feedback and numbers matter, but really our, when we look at the, at the, what we're going to design or do, it's really a, is this valuable or useful for the reader? Sure. Um, valuable in terms of, is this going to entertain the reader or is this going to educate the reader? Yes, both. Okay. Um, some things are more entertaining. Some things are more educational. Totally. Um, there's the Venn diagrams overlap. Yeah. Now back to the first part of that question, which I probably should have separated out because it's a huge topic. But what do you personally find to be interesting content? Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to th well because I have to separate myself from my like my professional uh, tastes from my personal tastes mm -hmm. here. That's um, kind of why I wanted yeah. to ask this question because you might not like say bike checks per se, but I see those do really well and a lot of mm -hmm. readers like mm -hmm. them. So that's I'm genuinely curious about this. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think mm, people who, especially like Pink Bike is definitely a, f it's unique because it's a fairly core audience, but it's still a fairly broad audience. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody is a huge bike dork and we all do love bike tech. That's why the numbers on those stories are really good and they do well and um, they're engaging. People care. Um, I personally do love, I do love a good story. 
Okay. Um, are, you know, we, I'd say there's probably two or three stories every month that I really care about, whether it's a deeper story about a thing. Um, there's a, I don't know, I don't know when you're going to publish this, but there's a (laughs) a story coming up, um, about, about, uh, um, Rich Houseman. Oh, cool. Uh, that. He won the World Cup back in the day. With an asterisk. Yes. Um, that Levy did, and... Grouse Mountain, right? Mm-hmm, yep. yeah. Um, and Taj did the, did the illustrations oh, for excellent. it. Oh, excellent. It's a story about people. Cool. It's got, you know, racing elements. It's got, it's got some shit to talk about. But that, to me, like, I don't care how it does. That's an amazing story. Cool. Um, on a professional level, I think one of the things that I've pushed uh, that it that sort of changed course a little bit is is news okay we didn't used to do as much news oh um, that's a good point that's totally correct yeah. we do a lot more news now um yeah. and that's that has resonated with people we try and do a bit more industry news more athlete news um and that's done well interesting cool do you want to share so you that upcoming story we'll probably publish in a week or I don't think yeah. too. I bet a week out. We can publish whatever. We can mm-hmm. schedule out. So let us know. If we no, need no, to. there's no, there's no, there's no embargo. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, people know what happened if they know. Otherwise yeah, yeah. Just look it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to real quick throw out maybe three of your all-time favorite pink bike? Ooh. Most interesting to you that most grabbed your attention? Favorite articles? Uh, sure. Yeah. Let me think. Um. I think the hardest article we've had to write in some ways it was it's rewarding um but it was it was a super hard article to write was the the story of Richie Rude and Jared Graves the doping, testing positive yeah. for um banned substances yep that was super difficult um and I think looking back I I hope we you know I feel like a similar number of people got mad at us from one side as from the other side, so I'm I'm pretty <laughs> I'm satisfied with how we approached that. Um, not that I'm like a both sides kind of guy, but um, yeah, I'm really proud of how we approached that one. It was a absolute ton of work that people will never see. Yeah, um, behind the scenes on that. Um, obviously, it was a rewarding story, but it wasn't you know couple of bike checks would have been a lot easier and probably gotten the same numbers <laughs> um, yeah. but you know there's a mandate there in my mind uh to go into those things well, i'm trying to think of another um i loved vernon's story um vernon and levy did the did a going to taiwan to to make a bike what it takes story that was awesome yeah. video story video story yeah that was awesome that came out like two weeks after I started, so I take tons of credit for it, but had nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, and the third is, uh, so last year we launched the field test. Yep. Um, that was cool. And that was a big effort, um, a lot of fun, and it landed really well. Um, so that one ticks the box for me. It was entertaining people, and, you know, people responded to it. Yeah. I hope it was valuable for people. Um, we're going to do it again this year. Cool. Uh, and next week we're going to start. So awesome. Two weeks, something like that. Do you have the same clown car bottom out the bike jump part? Uh, I, 
I don't want to give it away. Okay, but that's there, totally there's, fair. But there's something along those lines, yes. Excellent. Yes. I remember seeing lots of love for that in comments. Yeah, some good bro science, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it, too. Yeah. I like the the suspension articles with the cats that shoot lasers yep, out of their yep. eyes. That's a Dan Roberts' new contributor from, from uh, well, he's from the UK, but he lives in Switzerland. Okay. Been doing a great job. Um, yeah, tell me yours. Oh, man. Yeah, come on. It's hard to just think of them off the cuff or whatnot, but there's been some good interview content that I've enjoyed. Oh, man, there's so much. You're going to put me on the spot like that. I know, it's right? Tough. It's super God, tough. God, would do that? Oh, man. Well, of course, my stories are, no. <laughs> They're all right. Yeah, uh, no. Jeez. Uh, Levy, I believe, wrote an article about trail maintenance about how he was sick and tired of hearing people complain that trails have been maintained and they don't like them anymore because it's like a revolving turntable. You had your turn of enjoying the trail how it was. Now it's been changed and someone else is going to enjoy it for a while. And you had your turn. Now it's someone else's turn. And in a while, it'll come back to you. So stop that complaining. Doesn't, that doesn't sound like Levy. Maybe that was Kaz. I don't know. It was like one of the mics, I believe. I think I, it was Levy. Because didn't Levy write an article about how he doesn't like berms? And that was my other thing I was going to bring up as I well. Don't, I don't, I don't that, like berms either. <laughs> I don't think that those two opinions can mesh. Levy loves to complain about how the trails are too easy and people should just let them erode. Huh. I would agree with him on that. My local trails are so bermed out and jumped out. And, like, if I want to hit jumps, you, I'll go to the dirt jumps and I'll hit huge This is the most first world complaint ever. <laughs> your, your complaint is that you only shoot on fully sanctioned. I'm not complaining about only shooting on fully sanctioned legit. I like doing that. That's yeah. the only way I, I want to film. Right, but, but those are the ones that are also the most, most uh, built up bu now. Built up, right? It's ironic. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, man. I like reading the Chris Kokalis article about his trajectory. That was cool. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure who wrote that per se, but that was a good one. Chris is a super interesting guy. Yeah. Yep. It was long. I think it was like 7,000 words. Oh, then Levy probably wrote it. Okay. <laughs> or Chris wrote it. <laughs> or Chris. <laughs> um, what's your take on the trajectory of Pinkbike over the years? You mentioned transitioning from like more just to content, smorgasbord, to news. But not just in terms of like the website's size and audience, mm -hmm. but the the role the site plays within the industry. How has that been? Predicted? I mean, I would say I don't have the perspective because I wasn't inside for a lot of those years. Um, you know, when you're on the outside, things look one way and, okay. um, pink bike, you know, I thought pink bike was massive in 2003, you know, thought they had a private jet and whatever else. <laughs> I thought they had a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How else am I going to get to work? Um, Isn't there like a giant pink helicopter somewhere though? Th there's a red helicopter with a pink bike logo on it. Yeah. Is that pink bikes? No. God, no. <laughs> no. Um, the it's it's with it's black home helicopters. Okay. Oh, shit, I should know that. But um, they're you know they they partnered with us on some stuff and we're yeah. nice enough to to throw some branding on there. Nice um, enough to throw some branding on yeah, there. Yeah, it was very sweet. It was for <laughs> I think we set it up last year for we did a, did a heli drop and that was just a cool cool branding pop yeah that's neat not my not my world but i i felt very very baller i think tippy was on that tippy comes on all of our heli drops yeah i like a lot of your tippy content by the way yeah? it's very different than the stuff that i make but i i think it's he does a great job with it it's fun mm -hmm. very entertaining yeah but it's but nice it's nice i can uh, left rocky mountain but i still get to work with tip nice well he <laughs> left rocky mountain as yes. well yeah I wasn't seeing that one come, but yeah, 
it was, it's good. I'm I'm happy for him. He's doing he's doing good where he's at. I would love to go. I messaged him a while back about riding, and I'm honestly a little intimidated to go ride and just get dropped by this. <laughs> he's not twice my age, but like a few years ago he was. So. You, you won't get dropped unless it's at night and it's okay. the conditions are horrible. It's snowing. Oh man. Yeah. Well, back to the original question. Um, the trajectory. Trajectory of pink bike. I mean, With entertainment or news or both. Like, yes. do you have an easy way to? <laughs> uh, you know, if you don't have, have you to. know what we have. Like, in terms of the trajectory, I think pink bike has a mandate to, to, whatever, be the pulse, um, where things happen and tell stories, and that that means, you know, I was telling you that we publish a lot of like regional mm-hmm. race reports and that kind of stuff that isn't, you know in terms of value to the site has very little in terms because you know not that many people will see it and we we run a regional because the you know it's relevant in that region yeah it's you know the 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 local race in bellingham is relevant to people in bellingham and they're stoked to see it but it's not relevant to people in in berlin or whatever you know so um i still think we have a responsibility to tell people what's going on locally in their bike scene um and you know the pink bike um, ecosystem is bigger than just the news page. So we've yeah. got Trail Forks, we've got the buy and sell, we've got all these other things in the forums and all these other things. So it really is a community, and I think that mandate will never change. Um, it can grow and evolve, and you know add things like news. And we're doing the fantasy uh, contest now, oh, so yeah, that's kind of added. Well, it's added a lot of racing engagement. The 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 I'm not, you know, you change more than one thing at a time. I don't know if it's just that or whatever, but the the numbers on things like race results have gone way up over the last few years. Wow. Um, I think maybe partially because of because of um, the fantasy contest, partially because you know, as much as we love to complain about some of the streams, and you know, there's definitely things that need to get improved. Um, being able to watch them on free streaming every you know every the red race. bull of yeah, the exactly. world cup yeah is so valuable to the mountain bike ecosystem as a whole is fantasy for just the downhill or is it also mm-hmm. for the enduro we do it for downhill enduro and, and xc okay um and uh we also did it for crankworks this year okay yep i should have researched this before yeah, but god I, I can't get into any of the fantasy yep. stuff it's, yep. yeah it is a bit much um I should know the numbers, but I think it's something like thirty-five, forty thousand people on the downhill. Nice. The downhill one are are signed up to do it, and is it free to sign up? Yep. Yeah, oh, it's wow. all free. It's all. It's I actually paid money to sign up for a motocross one, and then just lost interest after about five <laughs> events. <laughs> I'm never gonna make that mistake oh, again. No. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It, you know what? I think it's a it's a lot. You people kind of pick the one they're into. Yeah. Um. But I'm doing all right in our in our pool, so. Nice. Yeah, flex a little bit. <laughs> um, That's cool. Well, how much of the general pink bike direction of news media, entertainment media, how much of that are you deciding personally? Actually, before we get to that, did I answer your question on trajectory? Um, Roughly, I can, yeah. I, I can like I can read you our. I, I pulled it up ahead of time. We you have do a grandiose have, statement. We have a, we have like a corporate vision, which is it's something like to take mountain biking like up a level sharing news reviews trails ideas and community with millions of riders globally we want to create new fans of the sport and transform sort of those like casual enthusiasts into core riders okay um 
for me personally, what that means is we want to take, we want to make racing better. We want to make riding better. Um, the biggest thing for me is that um, <laughs> this is so one of the challenges with pink bike and and with my role is that the only way for us to grow is to make more mountain bikers. Yeah. Right. Like if if somebody's a mountain biker, they've heard of pink bike. There's a bit of a saturation point there, like in terms of name penetration. Um, so the biggest goal for me is to say take take the folks who are maybe not mountain bikers or who are fans of mountain biking who think it's cool. Maybe they follow some YouTubers, but they don't ride or they don't ride much and turn them into real like enthusiast core mountain bikers. Um, What's the secret formula to make that happen? Ask me in two years. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's telling engaging stories. Okay. G giving people relevant information so they can buy the right bikes. Um, keep uh keep being a platform where the the racing stories get told um and or just the or the competition stories get told yeah um yeah, whatever that is in a race but no um it, it also probably doesn't turn a lot of uh enthusiasts into pros um but it definitely gets non mountain biker eyeballs onto the sport Honestly, I think your comment about fantasy really just made me realize something. Fantasy is a great way of making racing more relatable mm -hmm. because people are then have more of a vested interest. They've got a stake in the game or whatnot. 100%. And then you may, comment, you may have mentioned that the comments on those are, there's way more interest in the racing results than there were previously. So I mm -hmm. think that's actually working. And I never would have, yep. five minutes ago, I would not have expected that. S you know, it can't just be that on its own. Um, I also think like we do live updates now. Okay. On the races. Oh yeah, that's super cool. Um, and that's just it's helpful for when, if you come into a stream halfway through, you can see what's happened. Yeah. And it gives it gives people a place to have those conversations and stuff. Um, and so between I think those two things plus the more streams and better streams. Yeah. Um, has helped. It's been in, I think that fantasy has helped a lot with. Um, with uh, XC okay. on the site. Um, and there's tons of other stuff, you know, like we saw, um, you know, we did the, the Privateer yeah. uh, series. We saw a big bump in people's interest in enduro racing um, sort of during and after the first season of that. Cool. Um, probably didn't happen in isolation, but I, I didn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's people a lot care. more than just that, but it's also introducing people to the struggles mm -hmm. these guys go through. Totally. Were you surprised or not surprised that Adam's results didn't exactly improve a bunch? Hmm, that's a good question. I, uh, so, I mean, we ran a team at Rocky Mountain, um, and I know the results don't, like, sometimes you need to do things for several years, and the conditions need to be right and then sometimes you, it just clicks and happens and for some athletes that happens later in life and some it doesn't um i was a bit surprised he he didn't do better uh at whistler okay not north star um i think you know we're gonna sit down at the end of the season and and dig deep um i think he has a lot to be proud of if he showed up at, at those races and raced as fast as he could on that day 
um, I think he would have done a lot worse had he not gone through the things he's gone through and Agreed. had the sport he's had. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, I think he's, well, I know he's disappointed in those results. I also think there's some positives to take from him. Um, Do you think the pressure of being involved in that series and having all the eyes of the pink bike, thousands, millions of viewers, then expecting him to do better might have been a hindrance? Maybe. Um, but I think that's, that's, a, that's pressure that every pro athlete has. With their first real sponsorship, um, yeah. I think what's different with Adam is that he's having that, quote-unquote, earlier in his trajectory. Like, you know, when you when you hit that, oh, like, dude got a top 10, now I'm going to start paying attention to him, and then sponsors start having expectations, and you sign a big deal, and then there's unspoken pressure and this and that. Like, he skipped all those steps straight to the part where people care about him. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, maybe he didn't have as much time to get used to that level of pressure. I can see that. I also think that the the thing that nobody or that you don't really account for every year is that everybody gets faster. Maybe not at the peak. Maybe not at the top. Um, you know that everybody's getting a little bit faster every year. But uh, you know, I, I I don't believe that this year's top five is significantly faster than they were last year necessarily but the top 100 the 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 sort of top 20 to 100 the median speed the, yeah is going yeah. way up yeah. um and like we were talking before the level of seriousness that buddy who's like in 60th place <laughs> is crazy now like those yeah. people are taking it very seriously yeah. whereas four years ago they weren't um so i th i think it's disappointing that Adam hasn't shown the pace that we hoped he would, uh, that he hoped he would. Um, I think, you know, I think with the goal of trying to get into that top thirty, that's that's a uh, did not achieve, no matter how you slice it, and and also did not didn't get any stage results that got him anywhere near that. Um, so there's not really much to take there, but I think there's some other really positive things. Um, he has he you know seeing him ride and knowing Adam, he's gotten way better. Cool. In the last few years through the program, Todd's helped him a lot. Yeah, we're going to sit down at the end of the season. I'm, I'm really curious. It'll be a bit of a deep dive. Um, I'm curious in his perspective. It hasn't been easy for him, you know, sure. like there is pressure and... Does he still work at Pinkbike? Yep. Okay. Yep, he does. What's his role at Pinkbike? Uh, he is the man that makes all of the ads work. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's a coder. No, he's okay. a he's a he's a Excel wizard. Oh, all right. Um, you know, we've got other people have been brought on board to help with the workload. He doesn't work a full he doesn't work a full job, but obviously, like there's busy times and less busy times, and yeah. it, you know, it, it, the, one of the things that people don't talk about is that unless you're in the top fifteen, really top twenty, most of the people in most mountain bike racing have jobs. Yeah. Or some way to yeah, or, off season make money. Yeah, exactly. But well, a lot. But a lot of them just work. Um, it's a it's an unfortunate, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not necessarily one who's like, we don't need mountain biking to be hockey or football yeah. or basketball. Like, I'm happy for there not to be that much money. I'd love it if the sport went deeper into the ranks. But like, I don't know. Who am I to say what's value or not value 
I think your opinion is very valid on this and super relevant. You've got a unique perspective. I mean, seeing what's coming in through the news site, yada, yada, mm -hmm. literally seeing the mountain bike audience's pulse and how it reacts mm -hmm. to stuff. So, Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I bet it is. Um, all right, easier question. How long have you, like, do you remember your first time you visited the Pink Bike website, when Ooh. it was, and what you Ooh. thought of it? Probably right away. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, like, super on Pink Bike early on, like, in 98, 99. I think I was on the, like, I think I was on the, what the hell were they? There were so many, like, janky forums back in the day. The chat rooms. Yeah, like, there was, oh, God, there was, um. Do you remember like hcore.net? It was like a really one. bad one. Uh, I, I think I did some of the Ride Monkey stuff early on. Okay. MTBR um, was. MTBR, yeah. I think I think I spent a bit of time on MTBR, a lot of time on NSMB. Okay. Um, and then I used Pinkbike. Um, I, I wasn't on the forums there, and they, they didn't really have much of a homepage at the time. So it was mostly um, forums. It was f and pictures. Okay. Um. So I remember uploading, um, somebody found them recently and sent them to me. Nice. Uh, I, there's like some really bad photos of me, like teenage me throwing like really bad no footers on <laughs> with a fancy scream. And, like, Super yeah. bent knees. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> fully bow legged. It's a good look. Um, awesome. yeah, I might even have had. What did I have? I have a Belfa Minuteman. There's some oh, photos awesome. of me on a Belfa Minuteman on there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Pinkbike was a was a photo sharing site first. Okay. And so I used it for that, and that must have I must have been using it for that from like 2001, 2002 on. Do you remember your first visit to the site? No. Okay. No. Um, it was probably to upload a photo. Yeah. I don't think I ever checked out Pinkbike until like probably the mid 2000 thousands yeah. early 2000s yeah. mtbr is huge yep yeah, yeah, it was because i'm from the bay area from the santa cruz area and i saw mtbr stickers and i met france francis on some um group rides from the old wheelsmith shop oh nice yeah he was a shredder back then on a yeah. single speed too and then i went and checked it out I, we had dial up aol service and it's mm -hmm. we, i live out in the sticks we had dial up for years and years but first thing i saw was a thread about do you night ride in the dark Often or I'm afraid, and it was a poll. And I, just <laughs> I might steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was amazing, and that was my first visit. I still remember it to this day. It's but pretty good. Yeah, Pink Bike wasn't super relevant to me mm -hmm. in California back then because there was a lot of Canadian content. Right, and a lot of like they were Calgary based to start. That's where oh, Radic wow. was. Okay, um, they moved to Chil from Calgary to Chilliwack. Okay, and Chilliwack to Squamish to Squampton. Mm -hmm. Where do you think Pink Bike's gonna be in five and fifteen years? Physically or as a concept or more of a concept I, oh, that man. matters more for a website than their physical location. It really, yes, yeah. It really depends on mountain biking. Okay. You know, we've talked about the health of the industry and the health of things, and I, like I said, I I do truly believe that the health of pink bike is is linked to the growth of mountain biking, because um, we're a community site first. Um, so if mountain biking if mountain biking's impacted either by recession or changing tastes or stuff, then that would be a problem. Would that then gear the site more towards getting people into the sport and like more so on growth or I mean that's important to me regardless yeah um f I mean for me, the vision is m more not all that different 
Um, I'd like us to diversify our channels a bit. Okay. Um, we were slow adopters to to um, outside ecosystems outside of Pinkbike. Like Facebook. Like Instagram, Facebook. YouTube. This is b- before my time, but yeah. yeah, I think there was some resistance to to that. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the things. Um, and especially now that we have, you know, we have trail forks and um, Pinkbike recently bought a, a road cycling site, cycling tips. tips. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see us keep keep the more like progressive, open ecosystem, like you know, engage on those channel, engage where the people want to engage with us rather than necessarily just on Pinkbike. Sure. Um, so I think there'll be more of that. Um, for sure. The, for sure, the biggest changes that are going to happen along on the media landscape we don't even know about yet. Yeah, um, man, ten years is a long time. We might like, have virtual reality. <laughs> it'll all, it'll all be Zwift. Yeah, it'll just you know, you won't even need to leave your house. <laughs> Enduro racing will be done on Zwifts yeah, only. <laughs> only, it'll just be a whole other category. And yeah. then someone's going to dope by hooking up a cordless drill to their drivetrain, yeah. and <laughs> I already do that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Cool. Another question I've really wanted to ask, and I wish I would have asked it sooner. Um, I've always loved the fact that Pinkbike doesn't hype up its own authors and creators. So what do you think the role of the author or creator of a piece of content is? Like, should they be involved in the story or should they be more removed and like omniscient third person narrator? Oh, I, sorry, I'm fixating on the last part of your question. I, I'm really not a fan of omniscient third-person narrator when it comes to, especially when it comes to, like, pre- like press releases and tech and stuff. It's like, y- you know how you learn to write a write a press release in third person. Um, on Pinkbike, we don't allow third-person press release. We do post just press releases. Yeah. Um, and we just label it as a press release because we and we choose what's in, what is relevant to our audience, what isn't. But I. Yeah, we have we have a policy of no third person because like, just stop it. Like, it's cl- you know it's under that brand's account. It says or I the individual's account or the author's account in in anything. And it's like no, you own those words. It's you. It's I did this. We did that. Okay. Here's the thing, because the you know the, it's a community and it's an opportunity. If you're posting something on Pinkbike and it gets selected and posted on the homepage. Like you are speaking directly to an audience, so don't pretend you're not. Does that perspective change when it's more of a news piece rather than simply a content piece? I think news needs to needs to take the. It has to be way more straight ahead. Yeah. It's this happened, that happened. This person said this. That person said that. Um. But when when we're talking, again, I have to draw a distinction between the things that we create and the things that submitted are the yeah. community submits yeah. um when it comes to the stuff that the community submits like it's the stories that matter right it's and that i i still think our role in the industry is to be a platform for all the best stories if we can sure. right um i i do think that we haven't done as good a job as we could have um to not hype our authors, but to hype all authors, um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see us do a better job of of 
letting everybody like show their character and you know improve their profiles and be able to be connected a little bit more with with the uh audience okay um for example like uh we we launched the tags and stuff yeah and um one of the big reasons for me on that was so that readers can find more stuff by the same were involving the same athlete or um on the same like from Eurobike, it's like okay, I've clicked on a Eurobike article. I'm interested in all the Eurobike stuff. How can I get that all on one page? So whether it's a it's an author or an athlete or an event, um, being able to get more of what you're clearly interested in or having a pathway to it is important to me. And for like a tech review, it provide context on what yep. that author has also done in the past exactly. and what he might be most qualified to compare and yep. contrast something to. Yep. So totally. Interesting. So, well, and, and that's one thing, like, I should qualify. We don't, there are some things we don't, you know, you gave me a nice compliment on the things we do do in, term, in terms of not, uh, or being pretty open with other people's content and stuff. Um, but we don't allow third-party tech reviews and stuff, obviously. Um, and we've had to, oh, I, I put in a policy to that we don't do any third-party interviews. Oh wow! Um, it just it's it's a blanket statement, but it's there was a lot of uh, um, brands who would do so. Athlete that we pay, tell us why you like the product that we pay you to like. <laughs> oh well, let me tell you, it's these five features that are featured in the uh, in the press kit, this and also an the low low price of three ninety nine. Like you my know. favorite product ever. Yeah, exactly. Again, oh, so in. There are lots of people who who are not that who have integrity, yeah. Who and athletes who would never ever say shit like that, mm-hmm. but um, it just it gets too hard. So yeah. you know we do interviews in house on the things we're interested in. Um, and like I said, the mix has changed. We do you know it used to be a lot less original content from the Pink Bike team, and now now there's the mix is a lot more. Yeah. Um, got your team working now exactly <laughs> <laughs> they were working before but it's it's uh yeah the vibe's good right now um well that's good to hear um i'm pretty curious too so beyond pink bike you obviously need to consume media on your own either for fun mm-hmm. or for work mm-hmm. so do you want to give us a few of your favorite instagram pages audiobooks or podcasts youtube channels twitter feeds Ooh television, books, etc. What do you follow and sure. most enjoy? Sure. Uh, let's go through those one by one. Oh, jeez. Well, I put a ton fire. a ton right there, but I'm, I think you're better qualified okay. to just spit off your favorite forms right. of... In Instagram pages. Um, I unfollowed everybody who doesn't make things or isn't a close personal friend. There you go. Um, I'm not... Uh, yeah, like the like influencers and people who just like follow like hot girls or like fitness guy like if if it's all aspirational on your instagram it's nothing but it's nothing but um like fear of missing out or oh shit, like this sucks <laughs> um but that's who you don't follow that's, that's, that's who i don't follow um uh what's a i'm trying to think of like standout people who so like i love what when people's Instagram reflects their personality, 
Um, so within the bike industry, like I got like Kurt Voorhees. Oh, cool. Right. Like yeah. it, it's so follower. good. And you know, he actually puts some thought into his Instagram and skits he, are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. And it, and it's him too. Yes. Right. It's not, it's not a made for Instagram personality. Um, outside of mountain biking, like, uh, there's like a local, uh, I'm not even sure what they are. Like weirdo East van out, art outfit that like makes weird skateboards, skateboard ramps on rails and shit called Zenga bros. Oh, cool. Those guys are really cool. I actually don't know if they're cool or not, but like, I just <laughs> like that they make bizarre shit. Um, I'm trying to think on media landscape stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, my personal Instagram's pretty low key on not not tons of bike stuff. Oh, cool! A little bit of music, a little bit of other things, just non. I don't know. Um, audiobooks don't really do the audiobook thing. Okay. Um, okay uh, occasionally on road trips, we'll do an audiobook, but it's not really my thing. Um, podcasts. So I have a I have a one hour commute yeah up to up to squamish How often do you do that commute uh two or three days a week oh wow um not now obviously my my uh post accident my arm is not feeling super comfy to drive up um it's good it's good to be in office um but the team's global so um i'll do i'll do morning phone calls to europe and then on the way home i'll do evening phone calls to australia while driving yeah um, but I'll also do podcasts and stuff. Um, you can just go over to your iTunes folder yeah, or your podcast folder and yeah. tell me. <laughs> uh, I'll do, like, I mean, honestly, like, it's a lot of trash. It's a lot of, like, uh, <laughs> when I'm when I'm heading up and, or, yeah, when I'm heading up, it's like, I'll listen to, like, a Bill Burr podcast or okay. something. Um, not not super intellectually. Uh, hey, you need to check yeah, out. Exactly. Whatever. Um, That's fair. What else? YouTube. Um, I don't do Twitter at all. Um, yeah, I uh, have an account apparently. Yeah, I. Uh, I Twitter's pretty fun for politics and stuff, but it's just I. I don't know. I I need pictures. I guess. Not that smart. <laughs> YouTube. Uh, I. Don't really do a ton of stuff in the mountain bike world again. Yeah. Um, I feel like I always feel like a bit of pressure, like I should. Um, but I also find it pretty, like, I see it all day for work. Yeah. Um, I do watch, like, I'll watch some tech reviewers and stuff just to be like, what are people doing outside of the world of mountain biking? Okay. Um. Tech, like, new camera gear. Yeah, Audio gear. Yep. Um, lots of audio stuff. Should you buy the new MacBook Pro? Not so much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my little brother's been doing actually some like high-end headphone reviews on YouTube. Should we That's give him a plug? Uh, I don't know if the overlap of people who buy $5,000 headphones is all that overlapped with the people who buy $5,000 mountain bikes, but maybe his, his, his Resolve reviews, sure. Resolve reviews. Resolve reviews, yeah. On YouTube. Yeah. Everyone, check that out. <laughs> um, but uh, I do. you know what I do watch a lot of cooking shows wow um what is it that you find interesting about i think the there's a lot shows? of parallels with, so? with mountain bike stuff um they do an absolutely amazing job and ter- they're just so dialed um it's you know personality is really important the stories they tell because what they're doing is pretty boring yeah um and 
um, really like how how to cook a thing is very straight ahead. Um, but the stories they tell, the way they tell them, the way they film them, um, man, they are good. Like they're there's not a lot of mountain bike content that reaches that level. Um, so I, yeah, I think there's lots we can learn from. Interesting. There. Cool. Um, I was hoping for an answer like that. Yeah, yeah. Food stuff, and I'm not like I'm I'm not really a big cook or anything like that. Um, but I just, I th yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Way cool. Um, well, what keeps you excited about staying in the bike industry after all these years? The bike industry has been good to me. I really enjoy it. Um, I obviously love riding bikes, nerding out on bikes. Uh, it's good people. Um, on a more cynical level, um, I got really lucky, obviously, with a bunch of different circumstances or unlucky depending on people's perspective but no you lucky know. but it also comes from initiative and yep. drive too like you just you were degree wasn't in making videos mm -hmm. but you went and learned how to do mm -hmm. that and then you kind of clawed your way up you might not want to say yeah. that outright but you yeah sure got no your, that's fine you opened the own your own door essentially yep. so um so in a lot of ways i but i have a lot to be thankful for within the industry you know it's um the fact that it's it was an iconoclast sport uh and kind of an upstart thing um, means that it's not all run by uh, suits with MBAs only, and there are other there are other ways up the ladder. Um, I might go and get my MBA. I don't know, but um, <laughs> but um, do you look at your time as at Rocky as your MBA? Uh, my undergrad, maybe. Okay, <laughs> I look at my time at WTB as an MBA, and my uh, time at Ibis is the second. Nice, yeah. <laughs> second undergrad. <laughs> yeah, um, but there's obviously so much more to learn, and and. I'm not saying that, like, people who aren't, you know, didn't come up through the industry don't have things to offer to the industry or anything like that. Uh, I think, like I said with the cooking thing, I think the mountain bike industry can get really insular and kind of incestuous and whatever, um, take itself a little too seriously. Um, what industry doesn't, though? Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, fair. <laughs> I'll, yeah. But I do. I do feel like there's opportunities in the mountain bike industry for people who are driven and willing to work hard and committed um, that wouldn't be there in a lot of industries because the other industries are more um, straight ahead, more... Um, you get hired linear. for those industries straight out of school, whereas yeah. the bike industry, every single person I've talked to just about has worked at a bike shop first mm -hmm. and has by happenstance or whatever, met someone or saw an opportunity and because they were working somewhere pretty low level, mm -hmm. they got, so I found that there's a ton of self-made people in the bike industry. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I bet I bet that there's a downside to that too. Sure. Um, in terms of like professionalism and, and um, how much I'm cursing in this podcast, but <laughs> you know. We'll um, probably. That's good, you should, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep keep it PG. I'll let Ivan take care of that. <laughs> but um, I do think that it attracts pretty interesting people, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, I would be gone in an instant if I didn't love mountain biking. For sure. I think we all would. Yeah. Um, I'm amazed at how many key people in this industry are hardcore avid riders to this mm -hmm. day. That doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised that a few of the people I know who are key people in this industry who aren't avid riders. <laughs> I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, right. What are you doing? 
you can make more money and work less. Or even just like, why? Like I would, I would struggle with motivation. Yeah, I would. Um, I don't know. I, I don't envy that life. Yeah. You know, if I, uh, I don't know. I'm interested in lots of stuff. I'd be able to not work in the bike industry fine, but then be interested. But like, if I wasn't interested in whatever I was doing, oh man, that'd be tough. Yeah. You only have one time on this planet, and you spend a lot of time. As at far work. as you know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, one thing I want to get your take on, to me, it kind of seems like the mountain bike industry is in a huge boom right now. Uh, it's been going well for, gosh, four or five years, and it's very healthy. There's a ton of brands making good bikes that are surviving well. It's not like the motorcycle, motocross world, where there's only six brands. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a couple dozen relatively think, successful brands now. Do you think that's good? I, well... In some degrees, yes. Some degrees, it can be a little bit tough because your innovation is spread out amongst a lot of smaller guys that can't do as much. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it was a few smaller, bigger companies, they'd have more brain power essentially and could possibly evolve things more. But it keeps the flavor and in more it, buying so. power too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you could bring prices down and everything. But I want to get your take on it. Do you think we're in a boom period right now, and does it seem like a healthy time? I think it, being a fan of mountain biking is amazing right now. Um, you know, we've got access to great content. Um, the community resources are great. The bikes are really good right now. Yeah, they, they really are. are. Um, what, you know, watching world cups on Red Bull streaming is great for free, for free. <laughs> well, you know, the watching Enduro like come into its own has, has been amazing. Um, is the industry healthy? I think is maybe a different question. I don't, um, probably not as well positioned to answer that as I used to be. I guess that would be like, how are the bike shops doing? How are the retailers doing? How is the direct consumer to guys doing? Yeah. Is, is, um, I think there's definitely too much fat to say sustain through okay. the future. Um, I think there's a lot of products that probably don't need to exist. A lot of, um, jobs that don't need to exist. Um, when I say don't need to exist, I mean like don't necessarily provide value to the rider. Solutions um, looking for a problem. So yeah, there's a lot of that for sure. Um, uh, events that are propped up by by marketing alone. Um, the rather than you know like true competition. Um, yeah. Um, you know we're partners with the EWS, so this is not this is not an unbiased opinion, but like that ha that was a what Chris has done with that series is is incredible, and the the competition within that series is is real. Very much um, so. It's yeah. not a manufactured thing, but there are a lot of manufactured events. Um, Can you talk about any of the manufactured ones? Or well, do you I mean, throw I don't really want to throw people under the bus yeah. because there's a lot of passionate people doing. Okay. And you know, sometimes, as somebody who's faked it till they make it, um, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, um, I will say that that. FIM um, oh, e-bike race. Uh, that is a that is a solution looking for a problem. That yeah, was a that was square peg around hole. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not anti e-bike personally. Um, but we that almost made was, it through the whole podcast not talking about e-bikes. We talk about e-bikes. <laughs> I think um, the GNCC e-bike racing is pretty cool. I'm stoked on what they've got going. I I might be ignorant here. What's the GNCC? E -bike oh racing? my goodness! So that's the biggest off-road. It's like the biggest, yeah, 
of all types of off-road dirt bike racing in the mm -hmm. United States. Mm -hmm. It's the Grand National Cross Country Series. Okay. And they're doing like two to three hour races around like a 10 mile circuit. Mm -hmm. So pumping out laps and they'll get three to 5,000 entries per event. I Holy think there's crap. 10 or 12 of them. Wow. And you're allowed to walk the course or bicycle the course before the race. Mm -hmm. And so many folks were mountain biking it and then they all got e-bikes, which mm -hmm. go ahead, ride your e-bike on the dirt bike course. No problems with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So everyone is riding their e-bikes around the course, and then the organizer, who Caleb Russell's mother, and Caleb's mm -hmm. like the top mm -hmm. guy racer, and his dad also helps organize the series. Um, Kyle Warner did a good interview with her, but mm -hmm. they went ahead and started, just, let's just host an e-bike race on the actual dirt bike but course. But did it work? Because like that wonderfully. FIM thing looked horrible. Well, that was on a motocross track. This uh, is on a cross-country course, oh, gotcha. which is okay. all like, well, it starts as single track trails, but they tape it super wide mm -hmm. so you can have passing when there's hundreds of people on the course. Oh, cool. So usually the trail is the fastest route, but you have to pass. But it's Kyle Warner did one or two, and he had very positive things to say. And the video footage looks legit, not a joke at all. Mm-hmm. If it was super muddy, like the ones that I saw were not mud fests by any right. means, but it was a hit. And that audience, that dirt bikers have no problems with e-bikes nope. whatsoever. They have no problems. Mountain bikers, it's often they don't understand it. They hate it. Lots of problems. Here. In North America. Here, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and also specifically with within the like 20 to 40 age bracket. Like people under 20 don't give a shit. <laughs> They just want to have, like, they're just there. They, they like mountain biking, and they don't have an issue with e-bikes. They haven't developed the ego yet. They don't have the thing where it's like, I worked so hard for my fitness level, and now you just bought it. <laughs> you know, obviously there's legitimate trail access concerns and all these other yeah. things, but the majority of the, the stress comes from... from ego and hey that's fair enough you know if you got that opinion that's that's cool i'm not, i don't have an e-bike it's not it's not my thing but like, i want one do you <laughs> i do yeah. yeah it'd be such a good training tool i i don't buy that no? i bet I, I would be a good training tool in that it would get you out the door on miserable days where you didn't want to get out the door um i'm looking I, to do more downhill runs and yep. being able to yeah, get up the fair. hill quite a bit faster mm -hmm. i could do two or three instead of yeah. one they're pretty different though like, I, for sure you can translate some things over, but, like, descending on an e-bike is so different from riding a mountain bike. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's my experience. Um, Fair enough. I, it's so much lighter than my motorcycle. It still feels yep. like a... It still know. feels like a bike. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. But it, it is different. In some ways, some parts of descending are easier than you would think, and some parts are harder. I'm not picky when it comes to training, so mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to doing road rides on a mountain bike. Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to doing mountain bike rides on a road bike. <laughs> and, like, I look at it as cross-training. So, mm -hmm. yeah, lots of people just want to do their road training on a road mm -hmm. bike per se. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm kind of weird that way. But, yeah, yeah anyhow, back to the original thing. Mm -hmm. the, um, you say, like, solutions looking for problems, the FIM thing. And I think they got inspired by the GNCC series success. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to see if that takes off and if that becomes a legit, like, mm -hmm. actual huge mm -hmm. movement well, on that side of things. And, and racing, when I say racing should be should be authentic, I don't mean that it necessarily needs to be World Cup level. Like, participant racing is part of what makes the Enduro World Series so special. And one of the reasons it's been such a challenge to, to cover in some ways, right? Because it's not... 60 people going down a mountain and no. that's all we have to worry about it's this is these massive efforts for the organizer 
Um, but yeah, I li- like participant racing is really important. There's lots of really, really great participant races around the world and nothing wrong with that. I don't think, you know, not everything needs to be a world cup, but I also don't think that there, I think there are some races that are trying to be, or events in general that are trying to be something they're not. Okay. Um, and, and, and you know what? Saturation of those things can be a problem because then media struggles to cover all of them. And when there's a hundred of them, you don't know which one's important and you don't, you know, racers struggle on which ones to spend their money to go to, etc. Um, if there's too many races, it's. Di- I remember a local series had too many events, and then everyone stopped going. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, like you know, I never got into mountain bike racing as a kid, um, even though I I probably would have if there'd been a series I was interested in around me growing up. So, too many races isn't bad. It's too many races that are that are trying to be global things when nothing wrong with a regional race. It's great. Local racing local, is where it all starts. Local racing is great. <laughs> was there a local series in Oliver? BC? No, not for mountain biking. That's yeah. what I meant. Like it's if there had if there'd been local something other than I think there was like some BC Cup stuff okay. on XC around. Oh, cool. Not not in Oliver, but I think in Summerland there was a couple of races in Penticton nearby. Okay. Um, but yeah, if there'd been a, a downhill series or or maybe some four cross stuff or something, especially that I could have taken some BMX stuff over to. Um, maybe I would have done that. Yeah. You would have gone up there and done well, so yeah. your first would podium, I? and then all, we've seen Brian Park Ugh. front page of Pink Bike rather yeah. than organizing the front page. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad, and then I didn't have a series. That's great. Oh man! <laughs> Before we wrap this up, is there anyone you want to thank, or any other closing words you want to get out there, or maybe advice for aspiring Oof. heads of editorials? Oof. Um. Okay. Let me think. I want to say that I think there are tons and tons of different paths in mountain biking and paths in the mountain bike industry. And um, whether it's, you know, people wanting to get into the industry or hear like my trajectory or the ones that you've talked to with other people and you're right, everybody does have an interesting different trajectory, but like, I don't want to be like a follow your dreams. They're all everybody's valid and everything's valid. Um, you don't want to be the Instagram influencer with no, inspiration. Well, no, quote. and especially and especially <laughs> not like especially not athletes. Like, you know, the the number of athletes that make it in any sport is so insanely small. Yeah, and your return on investment as a pro athlete or pro really anything is is not it's not good. You know, it's like. Oh, cool. Taylor Swift told me to follow my dreams because she did and it worked out for her. But how many tens of thousands of people didn't make it in showbiz and ruined themselves trying to do it? I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, it feels disingenuous when some people say, do what I did and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I do think that the mountain bike industry has tons of room for new and different perspectives. And um, I think it would be really especially when you talk about the health of the industry, it'd be really healthy for the industry to get more accessible and to increase our, our efforts with underrepresented groups. We are um, very much a rich white guy. We sport are a rich white point. guy sport. It'd be and, great to get that more opened up. Yeah. And it absolutely sucks. That's one of the things I hate most 
Okay. Like the things that really I struggle with as an industry is that is that we are a upper middle class white guy sport and um not that you know i don't know who am i to say how people should spend their money and efforts and mountain bikes are complicated things that are going to be expensive because they're light you know the the motocross like oh i could buy a motorbike for that thing is so irrelevant because our our power to weight ratio sucks as humans and um and uh yeah without without the gas motor in there really sucks so mountain bikes are always, are always going to be expensive compared to like a skate deck but um yeah i think if the mountain bike industry doesn't expand its its ability to be accessed by underrepresented people and uh and groups and and we don't have better access to trails in cities and that kind of thing then i think we are limited um so hopefully hopefully people who consider joining the industry aren't just shop rats whose parents were well off enough to buy them bikes um, 10 years ago or whatever. The e-bikes could almost open that up too, get more people out and about that are just, because it's hard to pedal up a lot of these hills you pedal up. And I think that scares a lot of people off. Mm -hmm. If you get rid of that barrier a bit, it doesn't help with the cost thing. That's not help with the cost at all. But you increase the numbers, it becomes more of a mainstream sport. It becomes mm -hmm. more visible. And then we'd have a chance at opening more trails in city parks, more pump tracks and stuff, mm -hmm. making it more accessible. So it's a roundabout way, but I've always kind of wondered about that. And if we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not embracing e-bikes more. Well, I think we're certain, like, oh, this whole end of this podcast is going to be all e-bikes. But I certainly, <laughs> okay. I would certainly say that one of the biggest disappointments in the in the industry for me is seeing the same or many of the same people who who were really disillusioned with the or really frustrated with um, the hikers and trail access in the in the 90s and early 2000s who who built renegade trails here in North Van and who who fought tooth and nail for for trail access and, and really resented hikers and, and horseback riders and other user groups um, for not including them in the dialogue um, or for actively shutting them out of the dialogue are the same people who are now turning around and actively shutting out e-bikers from the dialogue. And that, that's disappointing to me. Like, yeah, there are legitimate concerns about trail access with e-bikes. So if you're concerned about it, engage. Don't, don't, disengage because then you've got nothing you you can't say shit. that's a fair point i remember when free ride bikes came out mm -hmm. in the late 90s and everyone said it was going to ruin the sport because yep. it'd be going downhill too fast and sure enough here we are weird <laughs> um uh, yeah i don't want to like like there are legitimate concerns about e-bikes and trail access and i don't want to delegitimize those but I just want people to like if that's a concern for you, or you're a trail builder and you're nervous about it, or or you're a you're a um, like a, a region that's confused about it or whatever else, like a land manager. I, I just don't think that knee jerk shutting people out is the answer because oh. it's gonna like e-bikes are here, they're they're a thing. Yeah, it's it's like it's like road riding with disc brakes, like. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, it's so scary. Ah, we got to bend them. knives on yeah. our hubs. 
Um, it's like, yeah, they're uh, going to happen because they're better. Yeah. So you better figure out how to make disc brakes work on road bikes. Yeah. Maybe that's the worst analogy, but. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I still want an e-bike, though. I just, you should art, get one. I know. I just don't want to buy one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, Spoiled pro athlete here just, yeah. like, admitting that I don't want to spend money on a bike, but I don't make a whole lot of money doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. so. I just need to do more shout-outs, man. E-bike shout-outs? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I, do, I do think that that's the, the – I see your point about e-bikes opening access to, to mountain biking for some people. But in terms of the people who are underrepresented in the sport, not so much. No. Um, they need like, – there's so many ways to crack that. But, oh, there's really, I don't there's know the right way. The, the right – well – one of the pieces of the puzzle has yeah. to be cost and the other has to be um, cl trails closer to urban centers. But there is nothing stopping inexpensive bikes from having good geometry. And yeah. um, there's nothing, like nothing. I would ride the crappy, the, I would ride a bike with 2001 technology and 2019 angles yes. over a bike with... 2019 uh, or technology and 2001 geometry in totally. a heartbeat. Totally. So in the grand scheme of things, it's the most important thing. So figure it out, put it on cheap bikes. Even if they break, even if they're heavy, it gets people into doing, being able to do the thing at a way lower level. I think marketing those correctly is another trick that no one's no one's really tried in my opinion to do a bike brand that focuses on like a $400 legit mountain bike and that's it just one product targeted to a whole different demographic and mm -hmm. would it take off I have no idea but I can't like rigid single speed with good geometry or maybe just oh god rigid single speed you're not into the rigid single speed oh, thing my shoulder just hurts hearing about that well, you don't Those have words. a shoulder <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> um but i mean some big tires on there and at the speeds these people will be riding just starting out like i don't know i rode basically a rigid bike when i first started and still uh, fell in love with it i i think for me the 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 barrier is the is the like sub 800 dollars bike Okay. A USD sub yeah. seven eight hundred dollar bike USD because way too many big mountain bike brands that know about good geometry make bikes at that price point that suck, um, and there's no excuse for it. It's like what's good, f you know? It, okay, yeah, you're selling those bikes to fourteen, fifteen year old kids, and they may not quote unquote need the latest enduro technology for their parents to open their wallets but like the kids would benefit from it yeah why and not a certain percentage that would fall in love with it and be able to stick with it mm -hmm. and not just have this yeah hoopty i just think i just think that's an easy win to <laughs> yeah, me that's a really yeah. easy win the take the 800 dollars bike and go or you know go from terrible geometry to good geometry and and it's not like you're losing anything by going more aggressive kid doesn't mind you know i would love to see the nika league incorporate some downhill racing and i'd also love to see them just grow in general because when schools can actually have a little library of bikes for mm -hmm. kids to check out and use mm -hmm. that would be a huge step forwards but i would not have i liked cross-country racing when i was a kid but i was like i was kind of into running until it hurt and see how much longer i could keep running for so Weird. i was kind of i know kind of a little <laughs> bit weird but then like 
mountain bike racing actually took off. There was a club at my high school a few years after I graduated, and all they did was hill repeats and these lame cross-country races, mm -hmm. and I would never have been into that. Nope. It, no. So if they would incorporate some more exciting stuff and get kids, like, there's plenty mm. of BMX kids that have zero interest in this dorky XC. Well, I say dorky. I still... Yeah, some of the stuff is kind of dorky. But Super dorky. <laughs> but if they got a little bit more aggressive, I think it would also help. Too. I mean, that's been one of the big changes in, in cycling over the last few years is that XC has gone from dorky to super exciting. Cause the racing's great. The tracks are a lot better. And when they aren't, they get called out. And um, I, I really enjoy watching XC racing now. I think there are a lot of more regional XC races that are really gravel races. Oh, yeah. Um, you know? And it's like, ah, this could be so much better. Yeah. Like, you're not going to inspire new people to yeah. to jump on this. It doesn't look, it looks like suffering. Yeah. It looks like running a marathon, but with wheels. <laughs> like, there's already marathons. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about races like Downeyville, the Lemurian Classic where you're like actually like pretty legit gnarly downhills and you're racing up a mountain back down it. I would still race cross country if I had access to races mm -hmm. like that, but Interesting. they don't really exist, unfortunately. Mm. They exist, but they're far away and yeah. I, I retired yeah. technically. Have, so you, have you done BCBR? No, I have not. I, you know, I'm biased, obviously. Have you done it? No, but okay. um, as, a, as a, you know, at Rocky, it was a big part of our, our year <laughs> and at, you know, Dre, Trey was a rock the organizer athlete. of yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, one of the two. Okay. And um, and at Pink Bike, we're a partner with cool. with BCBR. Um, so again, super biased, but as a as a XC stage race, I don't think there's anything else that's even close to it. Um, just in terms of the level of technical trails and real world riding, but also places to pass. Yeah. You know, definitely. You don't need, I, I come from like this BMX background and have all this experience racing cross country on mm -hmm. dirt bikes mm -hmm. where you don't need a, you just need to make the pass get more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> so I come from this rubbing is racing mentality. Yeah. It doesn't always jive well with mountain bikers, nope. but it's a nice little, like at the Maxi Avalanche in mm -hmm. Andorra, it worked great because the Europeans do not get offended if they get bumped into mm -hmm. briefly. Mountain bikers will freak out. Uh, you've done, you've done some of the mass start. Races? I did one and it oh. went so well. I had I started 392nd and mm -hmm. I finished 13th. Oh, you must have felt like a hero. It was so much fun, just yelling and just passing. Any line is open, and mm -hmm. it's just it was such. That was not a glacier run. I don't want to mm -hmm. go down a glacier. Nope. It's not my thing. Nope. But I loved that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It always looks really frustrating to me when I watch the POVs of those. I'm just like, oh God, <laughs> get out of the way. <laughs> I wasn't even racing dirt bikes at that point in time, but the mm -hmm. BMX background of like you just whoever's more aggressive will make the pass stick. Yep. Don't yeah. be afraid and yeah. just you know, it's full of piss and vinegar. Twenty one yeah. years old, like <laughs> cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that was rad. Um, we're pushing an hour and a half. This is the longest podcast oh, to date on the Kendall vs. Kendall You're series. You're gonna cut it down though, right? Maybe a few minutes. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we should wrap this up here. Any final thanks before we close up? No, thanks for coming out. Yeah, yeah. it's been great. Thanks for giving me an excuse to cross the border. I love coming up here. <laughs> Get some bootleg maple syrup. And <laughs> head back across. Some bacon, some ham. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, get a kokanee on the way out yeah. or something. Get a kokanee. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for sitting down. 
And to all the listeners here, you can follow Brian Park over at this website called pinkbike.com. I'm totally sure you've heard about it. And by now, you've probably checked it out hearing us talk about it. Without making this even longer, thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you.